these cycles don't change overnight, but you do have to pay attention. Why is there hypersupply? Because people are not paying attention. Are you looking to create more money, more options, and more fun? Hi, I'm Chris McCarron, and each week my guests and I will share our experiences with real estate investing and do our best to help empower you to start creating wealth yourself. Welcome to Women Creating Wealth. If you're ready to get started, visit womencreatingwealth.net. For now, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, and welcome back to Women Creating Wealth. Last time we met, I was promised that we were going to talk about market cycles. So let's talk about market cycles. There are basically four market cycles. And we're going to start sort of at the bottom of a cycle. That doesn't, I'm not saying this is where we are. I'm saying that this is the lowest point in the cycle. And that is the recession cycle. So either the economy is in a recession or the house and or the housing market is in a recession. Cause they're not always, it's not always a one-to-one correlation between what the market is doing outside the real estate market and what the market is doing inside the real estate market. But in general, this first phase is called a recession. And what happens in a recessionary phase is that it's basically, it costs more to build a house for a builder than the builder will get when they sell the house. So basically they stop, they start doing other things. Maybe they fix things up. Maybe they start adding porches on people's houses, whatever. But basically the housing market is low. Things are not selling at a high enough rate for builders to want to build new construction. Because remember, there's a lot of risks in that, right? You buy the land, you have to hold on to it while you go through the permitting process through the town, and then you've got to do all the work, depending on how big of a project we're talking about. This could be a multi-year thing. And if we're in the middle of a recession and you think, okay, I'm going to devote three years of my life to this project, and in the end, I'm not going to make money on it, why would you want to do that? So basically, these new projects just start to taper off and end. You know, they might, people might finish working on something if they've already started it, but basically they're not going to do that. So, so now the supply, think about it now, no one's building new stuff, but people are still having babies and people are still getting married and moving out and don't wanting to live on their own. They're getting married, they're getting divorced, they're getting whatever. They're making more money, they're making less money. People always need to move. So that demand, doesn't completely go away. And so people are looking, they want to buy a place. There's just nothing around. And that eventually starts to drive up the price. So you say, you know, there just isn't enough real estate. Well, I'm going to offer this person more than they're asking. And that's when we get into the bidding wars. And that's when there becomes a lot of competition. And that's how the price eventually goes up. Because as people say, you know, hey, I, I need a place to live. There's 75 people that want to buy this house. So I'm just going to offer way more than they're asking and I'm going to get the house. And then that becomes the new norm, right? Now this new price that's higher becomes the norm and the next property go on the market is going to use that as their starting point. And they may still end up in a bidding war and that price may even go up more. So that's how you how the, the recession is causing a lack of inventory and the recovery period comes when that lack of inventory gets to a critical place where there are a lot more people wanting to buy than there are people who want to sell. Because also when the prices are low, not only do builders not want to build, but people don't want to sell their house. Like I'm not going to put my house on the market and sell it at a loss. Why would I want to do that? So that's why they're putting the back a new porch on 
and using the builder to do that. So that's how that cycle begins. And then as people start to see, oh, you know, hey, I can get more for my house than I thought. Finally, I'm not under more. I'm going to start to, I'm going to sell. And you start to see more properties go on the market. And you start to see builders getting back into the market because they're saying, oh gosh, look, prices are now high enough. I can start developing again. Again, you've got that multi-year cycle for new development. So people, more and more people are saying, oh my God, the market's great. Maybe we should sell. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the market expands. That's the expansion phase. So we had the recession phase when there was no real new building coming up, no new construction, and people just weren't wanting to put their houses on the market. Then that started to change in the recovery cycle. And that's when people started putting their houses on the market and new items started to be built. And then we get to the expansion phase where there are even more people putting their house on the market. And some of these new houses are starting to come online. So we're getting more and more inventory. And then guess what happens? We get too much inventory. The buyers are spoiled for choice. There's way too much inventory. And so the prices start to go down, right? If if there's 75 properties that this person can choose from, they're just going to pick the one where they're going to give them the best deal. So now prices start to inch down again. And that's, guess what happens next? Then the builders stop building and the recession starts to come in. So where are we? Where are we in the market? Well, of course, that's a very specific answer because it depends on where you are. Was there already a lot of inventory? And so now you're already in hyper supply or are you still sort of getting to the edge of the expansion phase because maybe there's a limited amount of land in your area or there's something happening in your area that's not allowing it to get to that hyper supply phase. But believe me, everything eventually does. So, okay. Those are our four phases. So just to go over them again, you start off with recession and then that starts to morph into recovery and then you get to expansion and then boom, you're in hyper supply. And all of a sudden there's too much inventory and the builders once again, stop building. Bring us right back to the beginning. So what can you do once you figure out, well, first of all, how do you figure out what, what part of the cycle you're neighborhood, your area, the part of the town, the part of the country where you want to purchase a property, what is happening there in your unique little macro sphere and your little micro sphere and, you know, like what's happening in the world. Maybe you don't care so much about the macroeconomics, but when you really, um, you, you definitely need to care about your microeconomics, what's going on in your street, in your town, in your neighborhood. And how can you figure that out? A very quick and easy way to, to figure that out is you want to find out how many months of inventory are on the market. And you do that, you can do that very easily because for example, uh, you can look at realtor.com and you can look at some property in your area and say, well, how many days has this been on the market? And you can also use Zillow or realtor.com to calculate and we talk about this in an earlier podcast. I'll put a link to that because no sense saying it all again if you've already heard it. But basically you can go on to Zillow and you can determine how many properties are currently on the market and how many properties normally sell per month. And once you figure that out, you can determine how many months of inventory you have. So let's say that normally 10 houses sell every month. 
Well, if you've got 30 properties on the market, you've only got three months worth of inventory, right? Because if you sold, if nothing new came on the market and you sold 10 houses a month in three months, you'd be out of inventory. But let's say you have a hundred properties on the market. Then all of a sudden you've got 10 months worth of inventory. Well, that's starting to get into a hyper supply and that is definitely going to be a buyer's market in that particular area. You can do this by zip code. You can do it by uh, area search. You know, you can do a little perimeter search. Uh, but what, so once you determine that, so let's say, okay, look, I live in this area and there are a hundred properties on the market right now. And the average per month is 10. So that means I've got 10 months worth of inventory. I'm definitely in hyper supply, definitely in a buyer's market. So what do you do when you, when there's way too much inventory? Well, that is a great time to make a deal. Hey, let's make a deal. If there are 10 months worth of property out there and somebody wants to sell their place, they're going to need to make a deal with you. So you might have to talk to all 100 to find the person who's willing to sell their property for 80% of what they were asking or 70% or even a short sale, right? Because sometimes when you're in that excessive buyer market, you get people who just can't afford to sell their house. So let's just quickly talk about short sales. A short sale means that you are short paying the bank. So the seller is going to short pay the bank. Like if I say to you, um, if, if I owe you $100 and I'm only going to pay you 80, we call that you, you shorted me, right? You sh or I've shorted you. And that's what's happening with the bank. So that maybe the person who's selling the house, they owe the bank $200,000, but now their property is only worth $150,000. They're not going to be able to pay all $200,000 back. So they're going to have to make an arrangement with the bank. And most banks are willing to do this because what are their options? They're going to have to foreclose, which is very expensive. So if you can prove that if the seller can prove that this house, that no one's willing to buy this house at the $200,000, but they do have someone who's willing to pay $150,000, there's a process you can go through to apply to the bank and say, hey, I found a buyer for my house. They don't want to pay what I owe you. So will you agree to let me sell it for the $150,000 and just, we'll call it, and we'll just call it a day and I won't owe you the other fifty. dollars Oftentimes this is a thing, this can happen and you can look for those deals. You can help to educate those sellers that, yeah, I know you want to get X amount for this house, but the market is telling you, as you know, cause it's been on the market for 10 months, the market's telling you that it's not willing to pay the $200,000. So how about if I come in, I buy the house for 110,000 and we just make a deal with the bank that they'll erase that other 90,000 from your from, from the dockings is like, it, it, and it's not really like it never happened because it still ends up being on their taxes. It still shows up as a benefit. It's like they, it's almost like they sold stock and got, and had, um, and got an extra $90,000. So it shows up as a credit on their taxes. So they should be aware of that, that this is not going to be the end of, they might owe some extra taxes because they have this benefit that they that the bank wrote off all this debt for them. But that's a possibility. And the other possibility, of course, are, are REOs, so real estate owned, which are foreclosures, bank-owned properties. There are, and, and I'm seeing those already begin to climb. That's basically what happens when you get into a recession phase. And a lot of the areas around me, I'm in Boston. There aren't really too many in the Boston area, but all around other parts of Massachusetts. I see a lot in Maine and New Hampshire. 
So that's when you see that you're starting to get into a recession, you can oftentimes pick up bank-owned properties. Now, a lot of times those have their own issues. Do you really want to go that route? I would definitely recommend if this is your first time, you want to make sure that these properties are vacant. A lot of times you can't go inside. So you have to assume the worst when you're doing your bid. And if it's occupied, the bank is not going to ask those people to leave. So they might be tenants, but they might be the owners who lost the house. So here are these people, it's their home. They lost it to the bank and they might not want to leave. So you definitely have to put that into your budget that you might want to incent them to leave. So say, hey, I will give you $5,000 to help you put down your deposit on a new apartment and to get movers and to make sure that you get all settled into your nice new house and you don't have to worry about running away from the bank. Because think about it, when you have lost your house to the bank, it's it's almost like somebody's just waiting for you to leave the house so they can slap a, a deadbolt on the door, right? Somebody always has to be home or the bank's just going to lock you out of your house. So it's very, very stressful. And so you could be able to recommend to them, hey, I really want to work with you. I'm the new owner. I want to work with you. And sometimes they're even in a situation where they could become your new tenants, that they might not have the money to have maintained the mortgage, but maybe they do have enough to pay or maybe their situation changed and they couldn't make up the difference in their mortgage, but they could potentially pay you a, a good rent. So, but I don't recommend that for your first time. For the very first time, it's much easier if you can find a vacant property and it's doubly easier if you can walk through it first and make sure that the things that need to be done are within your field of expertise or within your budget. So that's what happens when you get lots of inventory. And those are, it's, it's easier to find deals like properties that might be selling at a good price, but you have to be careful. Like, what are you going to do with them? Right. If the next phase might be um, hyper supply. I mean, if the, if the next phase might be two years away or three years away, you might have to be sitting on that property for quite a while before the market starts to get into a point where it starts to recover. So make sure that you can do that. Make sure that you're either in an area where it's very easy to rent, or you can afford to rent it at a lower than market price. And that may make it easier to compete with other landlords. Just know that when you buy that property, it might not be a quick flip. So have another plan in place. And then what happens on the other end when there's just way too much, I mean, way too many people looking for inventory. So you've got 50 people competing for every single house. How are you going to buy anything? Um, this might be a good time if you already have real estate. It might be a good time to sell it. Some people say, oh, buy and hold. You know, you don't have to do that. But if you're getting into, if you're in expansion, you might be getting into, you know, what's next after expansion. The next thing is hypersupply. So do you want to be sitting on that property for a certain period of time? So like what I think about is, do I want to own this property for the next five to 10 years? And if the answer is no, for whatever reason, then sell. And what you can do, you don't have to just pay taxes on the money. You can buy in a different area. So not everybody has the same cycle. For example, the nationwide sort of average for this whole cycle is 10 to 18 years. That's a huge difference. So like in the Boston area, it's about 13 years. So you can kind of say, okay, we're probably going to be in each cycle about three years. But if you're in an 18 year place, then each cycle is going to be like four, possibly even five years. 
And it might even be that they're longer in hypersupply and shorter in recovery and expansion. So know your market. Am I making that clear? Know your market. And, and yes, so back to the question, what do you do when you're in, if you don't own anything already and you see that you're in a place where you're starting to get into expansion and the prices are starting to get high and you're like, crap, what can I do now? You can look for things like quick flips, what we call a fluff and buff, something where you can get in, just clean it up in a month or two, right? Quick, paint everything, new appliances, maybe like make the kitchen, I mean, kitchen and bath, basically, right? Get in there, paint everything, do a new kitchen and bath and get out and within a month or six weeks. If you can do something like that, it's a great time to do it because while you're in expansion, people are still fighting for stuff. And if you get stuck with it, well, at least you have a nice property that you can hopefully rent during the hyper supply phase. These cycles don't change overnight, but you do have to pay attention. Why is there hyper supply? Because people are not paying attention. They think, oh, yay. I actually have met people. I've sat on panels with people who are young, who've only ever been in the recovery and expansion phase in their real estate career. And they just think that's what's always going to happen, right? It's always, we're always going to be in recovery and expansion. No, we're not. So they're not going to be prepared. And they're going to be the people that are causing things like hypersupply. So be aware when you realize that we probably are in expansion, that hypersupply is next. So, you know, be, have a plan B, always have a plan B. During the recovery, that's a great time. Because you maybe you got your stuff during the re, end of the recession period. So you got some great, like, so I bought this place in Revere for $50,000. It was a bank-owned property. It was less than a mile from the beach. Yes, the basement flooded, but hey, what are you going to do? So I bought that property, $50,000. I put another 50 in to fix it up. And then two years later, when I sold it, I sold it for $200,000. That's a nice, I doubled my money, Right. That's a nice return. I could also have rented it because now we're not out of the expansion phase yet. That property now would is selling for even more. I could probably get 270 maybe, maybe even 300 for that same property now. So then my money would have tripled, but I would have been hanging on to it for about eight years. So you need to decide what your money can do. But that's why I say when we're at the end of expansion, when we're sort of like, oh, we've been in an expansion phase because- we should have come out of expansion a long time ago, but COVID-19, everybody decided they needed to move. So that took that made expansion stay on a little longer. And it made it so that expansion was was is, is still going on, even though we really should be in hypersupply. So if you get your property toward the end of recession or the beginning of recovery, you probably have three, four, five years that you can continue to, to watch that property increase in value. And what you can do when you get to the end of what you think is the end of expansion, you can sort just you can start to sell those properties off. You're going to make a great return, and then you can move them into a place that has a little bit shorter recovery cycle, where perhaps prices don't go down as much. So, just as an example, there are suburbs of Boston where property has increased over 300 percent during this last cycle, but at the cycle. At the previous cycle, it went down about 65%. So you're going to see like, okay, I own this property now. It's worth $100,000. It's possible that when we get to hypersupply, it's going to be worth $40,000. Well, man, that really sucks, right? But 
what you can do is you can take that. So why is why is is that particular neighborhood so affected? Because it's it's near the city, but it's actually kind of a crappy drive into the city, right? There's no easy access via the T via the train system. There's no you know easy access by public transportation. You're sitting in traffic trying to get into the city. So as prices go down, people are like, why do I want to live out here and fight with traffic every day? I should move into the city because now prices are lower. So then you start to see that reduction in price in that particular area. But there's another area right next to the city where the school systems are highly rated in the nation. Everybody always wants to live there. So you might see a 5% reduction in price in that neighborhood because as soon as prices go down, people are just running in there to buy, to buy property because they want that school system. So these dynamics are happening within seven miles of each other. So I can sell my property in this area where traffic is going to be miserable and people are going to want to sell. And I can put it into this place where I'm not going to get as much for my money, right? Maybe I'm going to sell a three family in this neighborhood and buy a condo in this other neighborhood, but that's okay. Because when we get back into recovery, I can sell that condo and go back to the other neighborhood and enjoy that 300% expansion. Am I making sense? I hope so. Um, I should have slides, but this is a podcast. So I do go into this. I just want to say, I do go into this in more detail in my book, Empower Your Inner Millionaire. And I also want to mention that a friend of mine and I, the incredible Johnny Lloyd and I are going to have a retreat in October, Columbus Day weekend, 2023, in probably either the White Mountains of New Hampshire or the Berkshires of Massachusetts, two beautiful mountainous regions that are going to be enjoying amazing foliage. It's an extremely small group. We're going to have less than 10 people and everyone is going to have very individualized attention. So you're going to take this weekend retreat. You're going to bring all your financial information. You're going to, we're going to do risk assessments. We're going to do personality assessments. We're going to understand you, your neighborhood, your area, your expertise, your financial situation. And you are going to walk away with a customized plan just for you. There's going to be tons of classes. There's going to be beautiful walks in nature and delicious food. But the important thing is at the end of all that stuff, you're going to be, you're going to know more and you're going to know exactly what you need to do in order to start your journey toward financial independence. So I just want to kick that out there. We don't have the website yet or whatever, but you can always, you know, reach out to me and I'll give you some details and allow you to get one of those less than 10 spots. We're still sort of scouting out the property, but I know that's not, we're not going to get, have more than 10 spots. So very exclusive. And I, if you do what we tell you and we take your advice, it is going to be the best investment you ever made. Well, one of the best. Okay. I think that's going to wrap us up for this week. If you feel like I didn't cover something, if there's something that you're really questioning and you have no clue, but this is an important thing about market cycles. And I want you to understand it and embrace it and figure out like right now, sit down at your computer and figure out what cycle you think you're at in your neighborhood. And it might be incredibly obvious. You know, you might be seeing like all of a sudden, like I wasn't seeing any for sale signs or I'd see a for sale sign and be gone in two weeks versus now, when I drive down the street, there's four or five for sale signs. Hmm, what's up with that? Well, obviously we're getting into hypersupply and those properties are not going as fast as they did before. You could already be in recession. You could see that, you know, gee, this property has been on the market for six months. 
No one's buying it. What's going on? <clears throat> but that's where scouring the internet and scouring your personal neighborhood comes in really handy. And you're going to get to be to like, you're going to be on the pulse. You're going to be on the pulse and recognize. Cause that's what I, that's one of the things that I usually notice first is suddenly there's more and more for sale signs. Like, gee, it seemed like there was nothing on the market in this area. And now all of a sudden I'm just seeing all these for sale signs. It's probably not that there are more people trying to sell. It's probably that the houses are just staying on the market longer. So figure out which of those it is so you can figure out which part of the market you're in and you know which strategy. So just to recap, hypersupply, just hold on. Sometimes in hypersupply, knowing that we're going to be going into recession, you can sometimes pick up a deal. You might find a, a builder who has maxed themselves out and they have too much stuff and they got to go and they're going to go into bankruptcy. You might be able to scoop in and grab something even before we get to recession because that particular company or person got themselves overextended a little bit ahead of the curve. But a lot of times that's a good time to buy and hold. I mean, just to hold on to whatever you've already purchased. And then as we get into recession, start to look for REO properties, start to look for short sales, start to look for great opportunities of people who just need to sell their house before their neighbor does. And then as we start to get into recovery, great time to do flips, great time to buy things that you can then rent. You know, you want to keep your eye on the rental demand. That's another big thing. So keep your eye on the rental demand because that tells you what your options are. And then as we get into the expansion phase, that's when you can start to even think about, mm, I wonder if I want to think about selling some of these properties that I've been renting for the last eight years, because now we're potentially getting to the end of that cycle. Okay. Have fun with this. Real estate is fun. It's fun and it's fantastic if you pay attention to market cycles, which is one of the big mistakes I made at the beginning of my career. Don't, don't you be like me. Be better. Have a fantastic week and we'll see you next week. We're either going to have Charlie Flanders next week, who's who I haven't interviewed yet, but I think she might be next. But if not, then we're going to talk about my space because we're getting really close to the grand opening. If you live anywhere near Tingsboro, Massachusetts, come to the grand opening of the Beehive co-working community. It's going to be March 16th, 530 to Bridgeview Circle. Big party, music, maybe even dancing. It's going to be a blast. Tours. We might even have like scavenger hunts with prizes. It's going to be awesome. And I would love to meet you. So that's it. I'm going to stop talking now for real. Have a great week. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Women Creating Wealth. For more info, be sure to check out womencreatingwealth.net. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and consider sharing the wealth with someone else who might enjoy it. See you next week.